wonderful friend, welcome to Faith FM, Drive Time, Big Q&A. This is the program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible, and where we look at the world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Nick Krita, the South Australian Regional Coordinator for Faith FM, and I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege and pleasure to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we have a special program today, a program on Anzac Day. I believe you will be very interested and uh, you know by now if you are a, a frequent listener to Faith FM that uh, you can be part of this program. You can uh, send us a text message uh, during this hour on 04888881. Please don't hesitate and send us a text message maybe with a thought, a question about this special day, the Anzac Day. It's my privilege to welcome uh, here in the studio our guests. First of all, it's good to have you with us, uh, Brenton. Pleasure to be here, Nick. Really looking forward to this program today. I will now say hello to our good friend David Lima from Family Voice Australia. Good to have you with us, David. Well, thanks, Nick, and it's great to be in the studio with you. It's wonderful to have you back here because uh, in the last um, few editions we were able to just connect via phone. Yes. But that was great too. And now, David, I always uh, like to um, welcome you to the program, even though on Fridays in particular we have you for a short sure. period of time. Um, but we may have you a little bit longer today and mm-hmm. particularly on this special day. Yes. I know you have good insights and you're very passionate about this uh, type of programs, particularly when it's uh, about uh, Anzac Day. So I would like to say to both of you, to you, Brendan and David, that you may be um, able and more qualified to talk about this special day because myself as an immigrant, you know, you have two, um, how to say, weaknesses here. One, that you forgot where you come from, maybe, and you haven't learned yet uh, where you arrived <laughs> fully. And this is a, but this is a special day, and I'm pretty sure every Australian will um, relate to this day in a very special um, way. Yes, I think they would, Nick, that's for sure. Yes. Now, uh, just uh, before we are even uh, going further, my dear friend uh, today listening, uh, I really want you to to be part of this and come with us. Send us a text message. I will mention again the number 04888881. You may suggest something to us. You may have a thought in, on this special uh, day. Please don't hesitate. On the same number, we'll come a little bit later with the offer which we have uh, prepared for today. I'd like to come to you, David, uh, now. And uh, I mean, just like to ask you, I'm pretty sure you already been part of the celebration today. Um, you've been maybe in the morning there for the service and uh, I know that there was also a, a, a bit of a function there. Was, yeah, uh, I've just come uh, from a an Anzac Day function and it's been a pleasure to have addressed that group of people sharing especially about the the forgotten spiritual aspects to the Anzac Day commemoration. So Anzac Day has been with us since 1916, and throughout that time, those who put together the commemoration were thinking biblically. They were Christian people who were trying to give hope 
in a situation of enormous death and carnage. Mm. And, of course, whenever anyone goes to war, uh, I've never been, <laughs> but so I'm told, uh, the mind is certainly well concentrated. And we think about those diggers in the trenches who uh, could well be saying, well, I might have another five minutes to live or another hour to live. This could be my last day. They're all given copies of the scriptures. There were military chaplains there providing mm-hmm. spiritual guidance. And since that time, on our Anzac Day, we've been able to explore wonderful Christian gospel truths. And unfortunately, even though Anzac Day is now very much the national day of the year, it's, mm. it's overtaken Australia Day by a long way. Mm. You know, on Australia Day, we might have barbecues or go to the beach, but people don't get up at the crack of dawn, assemble on, on freezing cold beaches no, to, to have uh, commemoration. So it grips us very strongly. And we really need to know what is the Christian message behind it all. The The real message is that there is hope as the soldier rests in the grave anticipating the trumpet call to life. So you get the one of several trumpet calls. The trumpet call that sends the soldier to sleep is called the last post. So that's at the end of the day. Mm. And then, of course, the soldier is woken up by the rouse or out of bed by the rouse trumpet call. Yes. And on, a, on a Anzac Day... You get those two calls, but you get them in a deliberately reversed order. You get the last post first. The point being is that the soldier must go to sleep before he can wake up, Mm. or he's got to die before he can rise to life. And the scriptures, of course, speak very strongly about the trumpet call to life. So all this Christian symbolism is built into the Anzac Day commemoration, but unfortunately we've we've forgotten our own story. Mm. And that's why we need in programs like this to explore the true meaning. That's wonderful. I'm coming to you, Brenton, now, and uh, yeah, as David was pointing out in regard to the Anzac Day and the importance of this day, what's your um, overview about this uh, day and from a Christian point of view and from an Australian citizen? Uh, from the Christian point of view, I agree totally with what David said. Perhaps it would be wise, uh, given our audience, to just reflect for a moment on what the word Anzac means. The word Anzac actually means Australia and New Zealand Army Corps. That's what it stands for. Nick and you being from, of a remaining in extraction, maybe this is the first time you've heard it <laughs> mentioned. I'll give you a brief historical overview. David's touched on the spiritual aspect of it very well at this particular point. In uh, August 1914, World War I began. By December 1914, even at that early stage, on the Western Front, things were starting to reach a stalemate. And what happened is Winston Churchill, who I think most people listening would know, the Lord of the Admiralty, decided that we might be an idea if we opened a second front. Russia in those days, actually, was an ally. In the First World War, they were an ally. They were also an ally in the Second World War as well. But anyway, the basic premise was this. Let's open a front by getting through the Dardanelles into the Black Sea and then we can support Russia, who at the time was struggling in the war against Germany. So this is where the genesis, if I can put it that way, of the Dardanelles campaign began. It's ironic, and I think David would agree with me on this, it's ironic that we place so much emphasis on a failed military campaign Mm. because basically it was a failed military campaign. Now, David, have you been to Gallipoli? No, no. 
Well, I, I actually have been to Gallipoli along with my wife and uh, most of uh, my um, immediate family, in-laws and so on and so forth. It is a very moving experience. I would almost describe it as religious, not mm. quite. But mm. to actually go there and see all these graves, British, French, Australian, New Zealand, Turkish, all these graves, forests and forests of graves, uh, some of them unmarked. And uh, to realise that during that period of time that they were there, yes, they did land on April 25, and they left prior to that from the city of Albany in Western Australia on November the 1st, 1914. Now, I've been to Albany in the last couple of weeks and actually been to the War Museum, (laughs) not knowing that I'd be on the program today. Mm -hmm. But it was rather interesting to have a look through. Albany has done a really good job with their War Museum. It's really something. If you get the chance to go there, you should. But the bottom line is that by the end of that campaign, failed as it was, 8,000 Australians and New Zealanders had lost their lives. They estimate that the total loss of life and injured during the Gallipoli campaign in total on both sides is half a million men. Wow. And the bottom line is at the end of it, they didn't achieve any of the objections. You know what the most successful part of the Gallipoli campaign was? The evacuation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, yes, David, uh, any thoughts on uh, what uh, Brenton is uh, mentioning? Yes, the withdrawal was spectacular. It was. uh, was. In fact, it's the greatest withdrawal in history. Uh, and Sir John Monash led that, so uh, a fantastic yep. result. The Australian, uh, the Australian nation really grew up at Gallipoli because I think so. Because yeah. for the first time as a nation, we had tasted war. Now, there's nothing glorifying about war, and nevertheless, it does make people grow up mm. at, at a rate of knots. And so, the Australian psyche was touched, and I think it's for that reason that people are so keen. To come out, although it hasn't always been that case. Perhaps twenty and thirty years ago, you get hardly anyone. Yeah, we anyone. went through a lull a few years ago. Hardly where anyone at these yeah, these dawn right. services. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. been a, a, a remarkable change, which is a fantastic one. Our challenge now, especially as Christian people, is to reveal the gospel message that is latent within the ANZAC commemoration. Yes, yeah. agreed. Mm. Yes, uh, that, indeed. My dear friend listening today, uh, why not to join us in this discussion? You may have um, a special uh, memory or uh, you may have somebody in your family who uh, may remind you uh, very closely about this uh, day, the Anzac Day. If you have that, please don't uh, hesitate to send us a text message and just write uh, to us, maybe even the names which you like to remember this day. And the number is zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. Yeah, Brenton, uh, just, what just was quickly, your thought? Um, a few thoughts on the principles of, of ANZAC. Uh, the principles, some of them that I've listed, and I'm not suggesting I've covered them all, are courage, endurance, duty, mateship, and decency in the face of terrible odds. And I could go on. David, I'm sure, could add one or two to that list as well. Mm. But basically, David is right in the sense that I believe the Australian society, this nation of ours, actually, shall we say, left its diapers behind. Mm. Mm. And actually, uh, it grew. It, it grew to youth and it grew to maturity because that maturity was reflected in the Second World War. Now, here's an interesting point, and this needs to be touched on, I think, in the context of the spiritual aspects of 
the Dardanelles campaign and other things. World War One was totally uh, the people who left Australia, the men who left Australia, and they left Australia for a number of reasons. One of the reasons was it was an adventure. Mm-hmm. Number two, they thought that it would be over fairly quickly. Number three, some of them needed money to look after their families. I haven't covered it all exhaustively, but I've given you an overview. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> along with that, World War One. All the Australians and New Zealanders who joined, the 30,000 who left Albany, were volunteers. Billy Hughes was the Prime Minister during World War I, and twice in 1916 and 17 he tried to introduce conscription and wasn't successful. So uh, it's interesting that they were volunteers because we can then use this from a Christian point of view because we know that Jesus Christ came to this earth voluntarily mm, and gave mm. his life for us. Mm. Yes, that's right. Greater love hath no man than this, than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus, uh, the, Easter, the Easter story is totally misunderstood. People think that Jesus was captured and executed. No. Uh, but in fact, he waited and waited and waited while the the fishermen friends of his who should have been able to stay awake long hours of fishing they couldn't keep awake he was waiting in order that he would be taken Mm. so he laid down his life in a voluntary manner he didn't have to but he did so because he loved us and uh, the hope we have as christians is that we will rise to life with faith in christ and that's really what the anzac day commemoration is all about Mm. so the the sleep death analogy is one that we should perhaps explore briefly. Uh, the Bible's full of that. You know, the Apostle Paul said, "Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from death, and Christ will shine on you." Yeah. And wonderfully, when that little girl had died, Jesus, uh, when everyone was grizzling and complaining and, and grieving, he said, "Why all this commotion? The child is not dead, but asleep." But asleep. They all started mm-hmm. laughing. Uh, if only this could have been captured on video, it would be astonishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he uh, he raises her from the dead saying to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. In fact, his precise original language is preserved for us in the scripture, talitha kum in the Aramaic. Little That's girl, right. I say to you, get up. These are the exact words of Jesus. Uh, and so for him, the fact that she was dead was no, no more of a problem than if she was simply asleep. That's the point he was making. And we all sleep. We all rehearse dying and rising every day. If only we could see how God is speaking to us through creation. And this was the message that was being conveyed on Anzac Day, that the soldier resting in the grave awaits the trumpet call to yes. life through faith in Christ. It's a wonderful Christian message built into the Anzac commemoration. Yeah, yeah. Oh, both of you mentioned about uh, the connections mm. with the spiritual uh, uh, aspect. And we are all here uh, Christians uh, following uh, the advice uh, of the Bible. Now, but there are many people uh, maybe even listening today who don't have any Christian background mm-hmm. and uh, they will look at um, something like what's happening today, all these uh, um, commemorations, you know, very spiritually, actually. Uh, I watch myself, uh, mm-hmm. the dawn and all those things. But I wonder, I wonder, uh, Brenton, you mentioned about those uh, young, very young people, particularly in the first uh, world war. Some who, of them were. Do you know who how, go, how maybe, old maybe 17, 16, no, 17? No, 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 no. The youngest person to die from Australia in World War One was 16 years of age. That's what I'm saying. And he got yeah. in there under false pretenses. Yeah. He, out he was older and he didn't die in battle. He died of, um, 
oh, I think he had septicemia or something mm. like that. Jack, I think his name was Darling. He was the youngest person, youngest Australian to die in World War One, and he was 16 years and, old. And even now in Russia and Ukraine, there are many young soldiers, like 19, oh, yes. 20 yeah. uh, years old, just going to the front line there. But sure. I, I just wonder, <clears throat> I just want to ask both of you here today, what do you think about the motivation? David, you mentioned about Jesus Christ coming and voluntary, uh, and Brenton, you mentioned that, uh, voluntary came and gave his life for each one of us mm-hmm. because we are under the curse of sin. Now, what's the motivation in uh, in comparison here with the Anzac Day when, uh, Brenton, you just said that some of the people, they, they went to even for an adventure. Yes. But... If I will ask you motivation, because I believe we can draw a good lesson here. Uh, the motivation is found in Luke 19, verse 10. Mm. The Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. What was the motivation? To seek and save that which was lost. We have enough examples in the Bible, as you know and as David knows. We have the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost son, the story of the lost coin, and there are other illustrations that Jesus used as well. But the principal reason that he came down here was to rescue this world, to to use the uh, correct Greek term, he brought us back. When you see this um, this word in the New Testament, he became the propitiation for our sins. It's rarely mentioned in Scripture. It's only mentioned, that may only be the only time that it's mentioned. If not, it's only mentioned one or two times. Mm. And... Um, Christ came down basically to take our place in order to restore that relationship that had been fractured, not fractured, broken mm. because of sin. Yep. I'm sure David yeah, can David. add to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, and my thoughts go, of course, to John Simpson Kirkpatrick. Yes. Uh, Simpson and his Man donkey. Man on the donkey. <laughs> uh, you ask people today, Simpson, and they think only of that wretched cartoon series. <laughs> Um, because the Simpsons. the Simpsons, because and he disgraces yeah. the name Homer, um, but pretty much we've we've lost our history when we don't know the story of Simpson and his donkey. But uh, Simpson didn't want to fight, but he was happy to help clean up the mess. So with his donkey, he rescued wounded soldiers. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. he he should have lasted about thirty seconds out there, but he went on for two or three weeks. I think it was he got shot by a Turkish sniper. Indeed, mm. and after he died, one of his friends said he was like. Christ. Now, what does yes. this friend mean? Well, Christ laid down his life for his friends, mm-hmm. and uh, anyone True. doing that rescue work, as Simpson did, it was only a matter of time before they would lose their life. Yeah. But uh, he loved his friends, and uh, that's the gospel being expressed mm. practically, if anything was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on what mm. um, what David was saying, if you've actually been there and seen the trenches, now. We went there in 2014. This happened in nearly 100 years before that, 1915. Do you know how big the trenches were? We're in a studio now talking. The trenches are about as tall as the table is mm-hmm. in this particular studio. Can you imagine? In fact, they told me, the Turkish guides told me, that sometimes you're only 20 or 30 metres from the enemy. Mm. If you bobbed your head up, mm. you never knew whether you were going to lose it. So uh, you you had this situation. Can you imagine the effect on your nerves Mm. and all the rest of it, knowing that if I bob my head up right now, there might be a marksman just waiting. Boom. Got you. Right. And he said sometimes they were only 20 or 30 metres apart, Mm -hmm. the Turkish trenches and the Allied trenches. Mm. Mm. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, look, I uh, I've been myself through the revolution in Romania, and sure, I've been through the sure. bullets there in the capital city of Bucharest when when that, that happened, mm. and it's uh, it's frightening, you know. But the adrenaline kicks in, and I remember when I was uh, through the uh, one of the most. Um, important uh, routes there in mm. Bucharest. How um, when how I was um, cover, you know. I mean, the bullets were just going flying over, around, flying around us, you know. Mm. And we didn't know mm. exactly what happened. The one of the guys which was driving the car, he kind of went in slalom, slalom, <laughs> 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 yeah, or how you call that. And uh, I thought, okay, maybe he's shot, you know. And then uh, I myself. I thought, what's that? I felt some heat, you know, and I thought, what's happening? Uh, all of a sudden, you know, we realized, and because that we stopped, then the army, which we have in uh, Romania at that time, the the we call the army was uh, with the people at this stage, yes. and there were the terrorists, yes. you know, fighting, and they were just. Uh, Uh, shooting over us just to protect, you know, because on one side was the terrorists, on the other side was the uh, army. And it uh, was an interesting story. But hey, just before I'm going to take a short break here, we mentioned uh, here about um, Jesus Christ yes, and indeed. motivation behind his uh, uh, sacrifice. And we, we are talking about here the soldiers and people who fought in the war. Now, I'd like to allude to something here and I would like you to to come with a thought on this I believe uh, Jesus uh, came on this earth to pay the ultimate price for mm-hmm. me and you you know yes. because of our sins mm-hmm. but he came also to defend his kingdom mm. now I'm not sure if we can connect that uh, here because many soldiers they went to to protect to defend their land their kingdom mm-hmm. Because they uh, gave their life, you know. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Brenton that some of them may went even just for the sake of uh, an adventure, an adventure. But yeah, what what are your thoughts on this one, David? Yes, Jesus uh, said that the kingdom of heaven is like someone breaking in, a thief breaking in. And if you knew when the thief was going to break in, you You'd wouldn't go ready. to bed. You'd be ready. So mm. there, there is that analogy. He also said uh, no one goes to war without sitting down firstly and thinking whether okay, they can yeah. win it. Uh, we didn't do that very well at Gallipoli. <laughs> but, no, we did uh, <laughs> But all, all the hopes were there nevertheless. And so there is a, a very clear uh, analogy there. The... Matter of motivation comes back to my thinking as we're exploring these issues because many people would indeed have been motivated to defend God, King and country. So mm. they were they were serving God sure. as they went mm. into the war and the Second World War was even more clear, uh, a defense of what uh, Winston Churchill referred to as Christian civilization. He said that as in the I balance. I think he was right. And he was mm. right. Mm. So uh, people... Yeah, for some it was an adventure. For others it was earning the king's shilling, as they call it. But others were deeply motivated, especially as they saw that it wasn't going to be over by Christmas and it was going to be a protracted conflict. Uh, as they saw that, they said, we must continue to be rounded up. Uh, the, the the great Cooey marches uh, from Caloundra in New South Wales rounding mm-hmm. up people a conscription wasn't the right way to go the people wouldn't stand for that uh, the soldiers themselves largely voted against conscription because they could see what you'd be in for and they were volunteers and they chose that but uh, to force that on others was another issue so uh, 
for the First World War, all of our soldiers were volunteers. They and, were. And they did so for God, King they and Country. Mm, mm. The other interesting point, Nick, and uh, I think David's covered that aspect very, very well, so I won't add to it. I will say, though, that if you study Scripture carefully, those who are Christians are described in the New Testament as soldiers. Mm. I'm thinking of Ephesians 6, put on the whole armour of God. Now, Paul is using the analogy of a Roman soldier and all the pieces of equipment that a Roman soldier needs, mm. both offensive and defensive. Correct. And I think that that's actually very important. Yes. You know, we used to sing a song, and David probably knows it. You and I certainly know it. Onward, Christian soldiers oh, yeah. marching yes. to war. <laughs> yeah. That's a song that we used to sing. We don't sing it much these days, but when we were kids, we used to sing it a lot. But the aspect is Paul, Paul doesn't pull his punches. He says, we're in a war. Mm. Now, Christ himself said in John 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And I, in verse 32, if I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. I reckon that's a great promise and probably a good time for a break. Very, very good. Very good. Thanks, Brendan. <coughs> yes, my dear friend, uh, again, the invitation is to uh, come with us today. Uh, send us a text message with your thoughts uh, in regard to this special edition uh, on Anzac day the number where you can send a message is zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one but right now i'm going to leave you with a song here called uh, great southland enjoy uh, this and we'll be back in a moment this program is made possible by the support of adventist world radio This is your nation, this is your land, this common future, this shared hope, land of reaping, this land of harvest, this is your land, this is our home. Oh, 
Uh, welcome back. This is Drive Time BQ&A with Nick Rita. In the studio with us is uh, David Lima from Family Voice Australia and Brenton, uh, uh, Minister of the Gospel. Uh, uh, we are talking today uh, about this uh, special uh, thing uh, called Anzac Day. And before the break, we were uh, just mentioning about the importance for any Australian and New Zealander It's a Anzac very day. important day. David uh, is correct David, in uh, David, yeah. that it's superseded Australia Day as yes, far as yes. goes. That's right. It's important that. in the mind of God as well because yeah. of uh, God's wonderful love for the military. It's a, a whole theme worth exploring. Mm. Uh, Brenton has touched on that already. In fact, uh, in nine out of 13 of Paul's letters, there's a positive statement about the military. Mm. He was thinking always about the military, largely because he was in trouble so much being uh, arrested <laughs> and uh, under house arrest and all of that. He but, um, you know, Jesus spoke about uh, Naaman the Syrian, uh, to whom God's favor was given back in Old Testament rather times. Rather than Israelites. Rather mm. than Israelites, exactly. Mm. And... Uh, yep. The uh, There are five centurions all mentioned positively in yes. Scripture, and one of them even said, truly, this man was the Son the of God. Son of so God. you've got a, a witness from a Gentile right there and then at the death of Jesus. So mm-hmm. there's a wonderful love that God has for the military that we need to bring back into our Christian thinking. Mm-hmm. We need to start loving the military because they're doing God's work, especially peacekeeping. Jesus mm-hmm. is the Prince of Peace. And uh, David, as you said that, uh, we are about to uh, draw a couple of lessons, a spiritual lesson uh, in regard to uh, Anzac Day and what God has in in mind himself. But just before we are going into that, uh, I wonder, uh, Brenton, if you can take us through maybe a story or two uh, about uh, Anzac. And you may have even uh, some personal uh, story to share. Thank you, Nick. May 14, 1943 was a dark night. The Australian hospital ship Centaur was travelling from Sydney to Cairns. It, the intention was that they pick up um, sick and wounded and take them, and then they were going to New Guinea to pick up American and Australian soldiers who had been wounded in battle and bring them back. They were clearly marked as a hospital ship. A hospital ship in those days was an interesting thing. Let me just share very briefly, as quickly as I can. A hospital ship was had a white painted hull. It had white superstructure. It had a green stripe along the full length of both flanks of the ship and it had a red cross uh, on both sides of the ship as well as on the funnel. In other words, it was clearly identified. Now, if you were a hospital ship, you were actually you actually gave your number to the Red Cross in mm. Geneva mm. and it had a number. I forget what the number was, but it had a number. That number would have been passed on to the Japanese, to the enemy, to indicate that it was a hospital ship. Mm-hmm. Now, on this particular night, it was travelling along. It had left Sydney. It had gone past, not far past Brisbane. Um, the captain determined that he was going to go about 50, uh, about 80 kilometres offshore. Uh, but do you realise that during that period of time, there were 27 Japanese submarines operating off the east coast of Australia? Mm. And uh, at four o'clock in the morning, Sister Ellen Savage, one of 12 nurses who was on the ship, heard this almighty explosion and she knew immediately what it was. She knew they'd been hit by a torpedo. Uh, 
Now, the torpedoes, uh, uh, you and I and David know from probably having looked at war stores, stories and that sort of thing, that torpedoes somewhere can hit in the right place or the wrong place, so to speak. In this particular case, the torpedo hit right where the oil tank was in the ship and it literally exploded. Mm. It put a 10-metre wide gash in the side of the centaur and those who were sleeping down below were killed by the blast or by the concussion effects and the ship went down in three minutes. Now, mm. you and I have probably, and David have probably been talking for one and a half minutes. So you've got it one and a half minutes to go before the ship heads for the bottom. Goes down bow first and poor sister Ellen Savage only had time to get her life jacket on and jump into the water. And the vortex that was created by the ship sinking dragged her down. Mm. She says later on she thought that was it. She was finished. She was being hit by debris from the ship as it was being sucked down and going down to the bottom of the ocean, mm. and she thought she would never uh, rise Surface again. again yeah. mm. um, and she said she felt this pain, and then all of a sudden she was shot like a cork to the surface. Wow. And uh, she was in the middle of an oil slick. Can you imagine this? This woman's in her nightgown. A piece of the uh, the, the captain's cabin was floating around on the, the top of the surface of the sea there. Mm. And some people were on there, I think from memory, about 30. And she made her way towards there and they dragged her on and apparently one of the men actually gave her his coat to put around mm. her. Now, during the next 36 hours before they were rescued by the USS Monkford, she rationed what food they had with them. Apparently they had a little bit of food mm -hmm. with them, but not much. Uh, she rationed the water and she led them in singing. Now, some of the songs they sang are probably not what David and you and I would consider Christian songs. We had Roll Out the Barrel, <laughs> I guess, to keep uh, <laughs> I guess <laughs> to keep spirits up. We had Walsing Matilda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure which other ones we had. Maybe some of them are not uh, fit to be uh, played on air. But mm -hmm. um, anyway, she kept their spirits up. One guy died from his wounds. Some of them were terribly burned as you could imagine. Mm. And uh, in the end, she led them in prayer and they said to her, uh, the they were actually interviewing her in hospital afterwards after she'd been rescued. And they said, why did you pray? She said, I believe in times like this we need prayer. Wow. And uh, why has this got a particular aspect for me? Uh, my late aunt, uh, her brother, died on that ship. Right. Stanley Reginald Johnston. I looked it up on the list of those who went down with the ship in one form or another, and uh, he was on the ship. Okay. So it has a very uh, personal aspect for me as, uh, as a person who, had he been still alive, I guess he would have had some interesting stories to tell about what happened during yeah, World War II. No. But he never had a chance. They said those inside the ship when it exploded, they never had a chance. Mm. So the ones that would have escaped would have been the ones I would have assumed that would have been on deck. And uh, as the ship was going down, they, they dove off. There yeah. were sharks all around them at various times. And, and to make matters worse, several times planes flew overhead and they couldn't seem to say, hey, we're here, guys, you know, come and rescue us. So um, anyway, the long and the short of it was Sister Ellen Savage was awarded the King George Medal 
You may have heard of the George Medal. Have you heard of the mm. George Medal, uh, yes. David? Yes. The George Medal was a medal set up by King George VI, I think on about the 14th of September 1940. And uh, it was a medal that was awarded. It was a second-class civilian honour that was awarded to um, people for extraordinary deeds of courage. And she was awarded it for conspicuous service and high courage. Wonderful. And we can launch from this into the more spiritual aspect. Absolutely of right. Lot, and we, we appreciate that <coughs> the story, and particularly with the with the personal touch uh, there. Well, the personal um, touch what I want to do now, I would like to uh, give uh, uh, our free book uh, to our listeners today, and it's a wonderful book called "Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life." Great now, book, Nick. my dear friend, we are talking today about war, but you may have yourself a need for uh, healing if it's spiritual if it's physical if it's like memory uh, you may had yourself uh, people involved in the in the war uh, and uh, could uh, affect you greatly i will encourage you to get this wonderful book finding calm in the chaos of life by dr julian uh, melgosa and what a mouthful nick <laughs> if you aim for a, a joyful, a balanced life and wish to have total health, even in the imperfection of this world, follow Jesus' suggestion, remain in me and I will remain in you, based on John uh, chapter 15. Please send a text message right now to 04888 with the code SA115. All right. Before I'm going to Brenton to uh, open the Bible, to look at some passages in the Bible, uh, David, any thoughts? Yes, just reflecting on what Brenton has said about the hospital ship Centaur. I'm just looking at a picture of it even as we speak. Oh, well done. So, <laughs> yes, It's you, an interesting story, David. Absolutely. And you can <laughs> see those red crosses on the side. Very, very clearly marked. There are three that are visible from – on a four are visible mm. from uh, mm-hmm. both, both uh, the port and the starboard. And the reason that – a hospital ship would have the Christian cross, of course, is because the Christian faith is so fundamental to the development of modern health care. People yes. often don't realize this. And uh, we we still sometimes use the term nursing sister. Mm. And, and a nursing sister is someone who traditionally would be someone who would not marry but would devote themselves to God as a single person. Yes. And we would call them such a person a sister. So mm. uh, it's kind of stayed with our culture and with our thinking. Anzac Day is stronger than ever for many a long decade and yet the spiritual meaning is being forgotten in the same way that as you might look at the hospital ship centaur and see the cross, you may not make the spiritual connection. But uh, God is the great healer, uh, not only physical healing but also uh, and above all, spiritual yeah. healing, yeah. and um, for sure, the God that heals the, the Scripture says, and by His stripes we are healed. Yes, uh, when we get our hair cut, sometimes we go to the barber, and there's a pole which has red and white stripes on it. Correct. Uh, it's because they used to do surgery. So we we forget these hidden truths, and I do pray for all of our listeners, Nick, that uh, as they are reflecting on this day of commemoration, that they will recognise the claims of Christ in this whole matter and that the soldier's hope was not in his gun or in his uh, tank or in his donkey even, but uh, that his hope would be in Christ, 
That's really what Anzac Day is all about. Thank you, David. Thank you for those thoughts. Uh, Brenton, coming to you in the next maybe 10 minutes, uh, which we have left here, would you be able to take us through to some passages in the sure. Bible? And just um, let's draw together um, on this special day, Anzac mm. Day, but mm. to remember even the most important uh, thing for uh, each one of us uh, on this planet Earth. Thanks, Nick. Let me reflect just briefly on the Dardanelles campaign. It was a bold initiative, and what is not generally known is when we were there, we actually met the Turkish guide on the, the highest point of the Dardanelles, which is Chunuk Bar. Now, Chunuk Bar, he said at one stage they were nearly out of ammunition and most of their men were either wounded or dead, And he said there was a a contingent of 20,000 British troops coming up a flank. He said if they'd kept going, they would have overrun us, but their orders were to stop. They were only to go so far. He said during the night they were able to replenish supplies, bring fresh troops in and hold hold the ridge. Now, what's interesting is that in the Bible, I believe, we've talked about war. Generals usually plan their military campaigns with one goal inside the goal is victory now jesus in matthew chapter 16 i'm just going to share it with you just briefly you'll know it as soon as i read it this is after peter has said you are the christ the son of the living god from then on jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders the leading priests and the teachers of religious law he would be killed but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Here you have the campaign of Christ coming to earth. He is now revealing to his disciples, note, after they have acknowledged that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he is now informing them what's going to happen and what the outcome is going to be. He said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again on the third day. Then you move forward from there, Nick, uh, to... The scenes that are found in the Synoptic Gospels and also in the book of John, uh, where it talks about how Christ three times, there are three recorded references in the scriptures to three times he took them aside and told them the things that were going to happen to him. Now, for whatever reason, I realize it didn't fit in with their idea of the Messianic age and how it was all going to pan out, but they, it seems as though they totally misunderstood uh, the fact that it was necessary for him to suffer and die. And so you come to the point where he's hanging on the cross in John 19, verse 31. It says, as he's about to expire, he says, it is finished. Mm. I think those words have a great deal of poignancy and a great deal of um, importance to them because... He's reflecting on something that we find in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, where it says there was war in heaven. David, I don't know whether you've ever sat and looked at that, because the first six verses seem to be dealing almost with another subject. It's talking about the woman and how the woman fled into the wilderness, how the dragon, which we believe is the devil, uh, tried to kill Christ. We know that that happened because Herod tried to kill the newborn baby. And then all of a sudden, it's all as though someone has said, right, that's it. There was war in heaven. When? Well, way back in time immemorial, because Paul talks about the plan of salvation being from before the foundation of the world. 
And I think that's actually very important in the context of what we're talking about. Military campaigns, some are successful. Sometimes it, it seems as though they drag victory from the jaws of defeat, and sometimes it seems as though they drive, drag defeat from the jaws of victory. But in Christ's case, he knew what was ahead of him. He knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew what the outcome would be. And in the book of Revelation, you find on numerous occasions where the angels and the unfallen worlds, Nick and David, are rejoicing over the fact that the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to say this. One of the things that occurred to me today, and I think it's pretty important in the line of sacrifice that we're looking at today, Christ is hanging on the cross. Have you ever studied the seven sayings of Christ on Calvary? It's a good sermon, Mm -hmm. the seven sayings of Christ. I've preached a sermon on it some time ago, but one of the sayings of Christ was this, or not, not one of his sayings, but something that was said to him by the priests and rulers. He saved others himself. He cannot save. Mm. It was said in derision. And uh, isn't it ironic that even though it was said in derision, it also goes back to what Caiaphas said after the raising of Lazarus, where Caiaphas said, don't you realize it's better that one man die for the nation than that the whole nation perish? This is in John 11, about verse 55 or something around that that mark. So the plan of salvation was not an afterthought. It was not plan B. And I agree with David. It, it, we are losing the spiritual context of what Anzac Day mm. should be mm. about. We are losing the fact that the people that we are almost revering at these services who are all dead gave their lives for their country. But this is on a vastly bigger scale. This is cosmic in its um, in its um, ramifications. It affects heaven. It affects the unfallen worlds, and it affects this world. Yes. Christ gave his life in order that we might live. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And, you know, uh, just on that one, um, uh, David uh, and uh, Brenton, Jesus' sacrifice was not a waste. No, it wasn't. Because there was a resurrection, and uh, we're looking forward for that great day when Jesus will come to take us home. If we put ourselves right with God now, today, my dear friend. Now, some people may say that uh, there are uh, um, ways, you know, sacrificial uh, things even in these days. People are going to do certain things and it's for not again. I don't know, uh, uh, you know, you cannot be in the mind of those people who are uh, uh, going through this. But uh, why not to consider our Lord Jesus Christ as your savior who yes. paid the price for us. We have two minutes uh, or three left. Uh, yes. David, uh, would you indeed, have a couple of indeed. thoughts? Well, those, those pioneer Anzacs, in fact, all of our military personnel over the years, they've thought very deeply about what comes after death because they're facing imminent death. Mm. And yes. um, all of us, uh, well, none of us know the, the, the hour of our death. And, you know, we hear about things happening, car crashes, uh, Anzac Day like every other day on average. There'll be four deaths on the road somewhere in Australia. Mm. So there'll be four families somewhere in Australia today who will not be having a very happy Anzac Day at all. Correct. They're grieving. And uh, all of us need to be ready. 
And we we need to learn that important lesson from, from the soldier, that the soldier is ready to die. Now, the only way you can be ready to die is if you have an eternal hope. If you do not have an eternal hope, you will not be brave in battle. Mm. You'll be trying to get out of it as much as possible. You'll be, yeah. a, you'll be a coward, and that's not illogical. It's perfectly reasonable. It's not acceptable, but it's reasonable. What we need is the, is the bravery which emerges from the certainty of the hope that we have, mm. that, that beyond death is not nothing but life, mm. and that God will sound the trumpet and call from the grave those who are asleep in Christ. Yeah. So it's a wonderful, wonderful hope that we have. Hope. Yeah, thank you for uh, sharing, David. Uh, Brenton, I'm coming to you now if you have some final thoughts also for a minute I'm or two. I'm going to read something just briefly that uh, all those who went to an Anzac Day service today would have heard. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we shall remember them. And usually at the end of that, the words, lest we forget, lest we forget are said. Do you realise this was written by a guy called Lawrence Minion in September 1914? It actually has seven verses to it, but this is the verse that we associate with, with Anzac Day. Now, looking at it in a Christian context, and I want to back up what David has said, they shall not grow old as we that are old grow old, mm. or we that are left, I think is the saying, we that are left grow old. They are safe in Christ's keeping. Those who believed in Jesus will rise again at the resurrection that Paul talks about in First Thessalonians 4. And my appeal today to those who are listening is simply this. You do have eternal life if you have accepted Jesus as your saviour. The story of Desmond Doss, I think many people know, um, how could he go out into battle without a weapon? He prayed. Mm-hmm. He trusted God. But I'm sure he never knew whether he had 30 seconds of life left or whether he was going to live to a ripe old age, which I think he did of about 88 years of age. So the lesson, I think, from Anzac Day is it's all about service. It's all about sacrifice. But let's remember the greatest sacrifice that was ever given and let's today give our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, I accept your sacrifice. It's greater than Anzac Day ever was or ever will be, and I want to be ready to meet Jesus when he returns in the cloud of heaven, and I want to meet those who have fallen asleep through all these wars who will be raised to life again. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. I just like to ask David, would you like to close with a prayer, please? Yes, as we reflect on that wonderful ode of remembrance, the words come back to our minds. The going down of the sun and in the morning morning, we will remember them. Well, what happens between the going down of the sun and the morning? It's night time when we have that rehearsal. And I do pray for all of our listeners that as they go to sleep tonight that they will do so, putting their trust in God and practicing resurrection. That's our great hope that we have in Christ. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that on Anzac Day we can be refreshed about the gospel message, about the message of Christ who laid down his life for his friends. And uh, there's no greater love than that. And I do pray for each of our listeners that they will respond to your Holy Spirit's leading, that they will put their trust in Jesus because who knows, today could be for some of them the last day. Mm. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will touch every listener, drawing 
all men and women and children uh, to yourself through Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, David. And thank you, our listeners, and the messages coming through. Gwen, indeed, the going down of the sun, and in the morning we will remember them. May God bless you all. Uh, I'm reminding you that you can still claim that wonderful uh, uh, book which we have set for you today as a free gift, Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life by uh, Dr. Uh, Julian Melgosa, and the code is SA115. All right, we'll continue our program tomorrow, the health aspect uh, under the God, Bible, and uh, healthy lifestyle. And our uh, good friend, uh, Pastor uh, Gary Hodgkin, will be here with uh, Marty tomorrow. Can I be an unhealthy vegetarian? That's the topic for tomorrow. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain
crown.